ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. The Territory's only lithium mine appears to be on shaky ground. Shares in Core Lithium have fallen more than 20% today and the company has announced a review of its operations near Darwin. I'll be sharing the details of this with you soon. Also today, you might want to grab a mirror and some blue food dye because we're going to find out if we're super tasters or not. And to be honest, if you are right at the very top of super tasting, if you're the elite in your field of super tasting, it's like living in a world with neon-coloured lights everywhere. Am I a super taster? Are you a super taster? Apparently only 25% of the population are. You'll learn all about this on the show today. And before 1.30, I'll also be telling you about a group called Strong Women Healthy Country Network. Some of the work they're doing to get more women involved in land management around the Northern Territory. It's our last country hour before Christmas and we are busy. Let's get into it, hey? Now, I guess the big news for Ag and the Territory is that the NT has a new Minister for Ag. It's Mark Monaghan, the member for Fong Lim. Now, he has given a press conference this morning but it was focused on one of his other portfolios. He's also the Minister for Education. But he was asked by a journalist why he thinks he's the best person to be the NT's new Ag Minister. And this was his response. Um, because I, su- I suppose I look at... Uh, I've, I've had um, experience in some of those... Uh, industries, um, my even my family connection uh, with, with the Cattlemen's Association. My uh, my wife's um, uh, uncle was a past president of the NT Cattlemen's Association. So so I have knowledge of those sectors and the cha- the challenges they have. I know through my work with and my relationships in my previous careers in mining. I know the relationships there that that are complex with the ag centres at times and 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 the farmers and uh, and, and cattle stations those things. So that so I've got a. a a lot of history in that area. So that's why I think I'm very comfortable moving into that sector. That is Mark Monaghan on why he thinks he's the best choice for the NT's new Ag Minister. Simon Smith is the President of the Northern Territory Farmers Association. Uh, Simon, Mark Monaghan, the new Ag Minister, what's your thoughts? Look, thanks, Matt. I, I don't know Mark well yet. Um, we'll certainly be in his office very early in the new year to get to know him. I did hear what you've just played there. So obviously he doesn't have a deep background himself in farming, but we often find that with ag ministers. Um, and all we can say is, look, we're, we're always keen to engage with them very early, keen to educate them, keen to get them out on farms. And the main thing is he does seem to have a, a genuine interest in, in our sector and, and let's hope he can follow through and be a, a strong minister. Are you surprised he's the ag minister? 
I guess it did come out of left field. I suppose we had hoped that clearly with Minister Madison moving to the backbench, it was probably um, possible that we might get someone who'd been the Ag Minister previously. Paul Kirby making possibly the comeback. Paul Kirby. Mm. Um, uh, uh, yeah, look, I guess we work with what we've got. One thing I would say is that uh, we've worked closely with new Chief Minister Lawler um, in her previous incarnation working in water and environment, and she's always been... Um, very open to you know any dialogue, and um, we look forward to the same with new Minister Monaghan. So your industry has now had three ag ministers in under two months. What does that do in terms of momentum on certain projects? Look, uh, it is, and I guess because we've got a freshly minted CEO and we've done the rounds and met with ministers and so forth, so uh, it, it does... It, it it means we go through another learning phase. I guess the important thing for, for listeners and others to understand is that we work predominantly with the departments. There hasn't been changes at departmental head levels, nor with the key people we work with at DePause and DITA, mm. key um, partners of ours. So we look forward to them playing their role in, I guess, bringing their minister up to speed quickly and for continuity with the working with NT Farmers. What would you like to see the new Ag Minister, Mark Monaghan, get stuck into first? Wow. Um, look, I, I suppose the, the thing, there's a, there's a number of issues that are ongoing. Um, we, we certainly see the, the importance of him continuing to support organisations like ours. We feel that obviously um, we have a strong relationship, working relationship with the departments. But moving into a, a, an election year and with a new minister, I think it's very important that there's no surprises, that we don't get any blindsided with any changes of policy or perhaps funding priorities. Um, we certainly see that there's some challenges around biosecurity. Um, we saw that with the dimethylate issue recently. Mm. And I guess what we want him to dive straight into is, is support of the farming sector, understanding what our issues are and being there to make sure that Things like labour, the, the stuff with the ongoing issues with mango twig tip dieback, to ensure that his department is, continues to be well resourced and he continues to advocate as loudly as possible in the public space for farming and farming continuity. Well, we look forward to having the new Minister on the Country Hour as soon as possible. Thank you for your time today and Merry Christmas. I mean, you, you're in the nursery game. Christmas, what does it look like? Uh, like Just every other, it easy. Yeah, <laughs> like every other day of the year, mm. I say to people, it's a bit like um, dairy cattle. Matt, there's, we've got to be there every day. It's nice when it rains, but it still doesn't mean there's not pests or diseases coming around the corner. But that's the case with every form of farming. And given that NT Farmers covers everything from growing dates in the centre to mangoes and melons up here, Every farmer's out on their farm every day worrying about something. So I wish them all the best for Christmas and the New Year as well. Yep, they're the people who food and clove with us. Thank you so much for your time, Simon Smith. Thanks, Matt. G'day, my name's John Lyon and I work with compost in the Northern Territory to help farmers improve their soils. Compost and mulches are absolutely essential to good farming in hot climates like ours. And you're listening to The Country Hour. Mark Monaghan is the Territory's new Minister for Ag. He's the Territory's new Minister for Mining. What would you like to see him get stuck into first? Our text number at the Country Hour is 0487 
It would seem in the Northern Territory's cattle industry there's a lot of people Googling who is Mark Monaghan. Gary Riggs is at Lakefield Station and he says the new minister has got a lot of work in front of him. Yeah, I, I haven't heard of the bloke before. Um, the only thing I know is what's been talked about on the, on the radio. Yeah, I suppose they've done done the job and, and he's yeah, got to step up and keep on top of our biosecurity and and our live export industry going into Indonesia and uh, you know, with this lumpy skin disease and all the other things that are going with it and uh, skin lesions and and uh, yeah, trying to get livestock into Indonesia. And in your opinion, what what do you expect him to do uh, aside from that as an agribusiness minister, not only for cattle but also for other industries? Well, yeah, same same again. You know, he, he's got to step up, and, and I don't know what his background is. Uh, yeah, there's the, the agriculture sector. There's there's a fair bit of that going on. There's there's a lot a lot of stuff happening in the Northern Territory now that's just going forward, and uh, with the cotton and and uh, yeah, all these people growing melons, and and then there you got that uh, sandalwood thing all fell over. You know, yeah, he's got to be right on top of all that sort of stuff to, uh, yeah, keep the industries going for the North North Territory. That is Gary Riggs speaking to Jan Kahoot. Michelle Riggs from Lakefield Station. She wants the new Ag Minister to make biosecurity a priority and work closely with countries to our north. Uh, we'd love our new minister to prioritise and strengthen frontline defence and also very much encourage um, government agencies to collaborate with our neighbours, especially the eastern provinces of Asia, where that LSD and FMD are currently there, um, but also our other um, neighbours, Timor-Leste and Papua New Guinea, as well to um, to assist them to control or eradicate it in those countries. That is Michelle Riggs from Lakefield Station on the Sturt Plateau. What would you like to see the Ag Minister get stuck into first? Our text number is 0487 991057. Mark Monaghan is not only the new Ag Minister, he's also the new Minister for Mining. Catherine Tillmouth is from the Minerals Council. Now, she hasn't commented directly on Mark Monaghan being the new minister. But she did tell Jane Barden that she's confident the NT's new chief minister, Eva Lawler, will work hard to attract investment into the NT's mining sector. So with Eva becoming the chief minister, she's had the experience of being the treasurer and also the infrastructure minister. So us in the mining industry are certain that she understands the value of mining to the Northern Territory and the things that it can deliver for the economy and for broader infrastructure in remote areas. So we think she's well placed to um, to lead um, the government going forward. And what does your industry want the government to focus on, particularly going into the new year? So in t- for the this year, just gone, 2023, we've seen a lot of changes in regards to legislation, some reform from the environmental department. So we want to see consistency. We want to see some of the Minerals Development Task Force recommendations implemented in a timely fashion. 
and we want to see focus on attracting investors to the Northern Territory, getting projects off the ground, which will inevitably result in better conditions for Northern Territorians. Money going into the bank, things that can pay for infrastructure. That is Catherine Tillmouth from the Minerals Council. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour. And we're talking about the new minister, Mark Monaghan, the minister for ag, the minister for fisheries, the minister for mining. He's also the minister for education. He's got a lot on his plate. Someone here on the text says, I think the Country Hour should be asking Will Evans from the NTCA what's important to the industry. I'm sure we'll get him on soon. I'm sure we'll get him on soon. We've just heard there from the Minerals Council on the topic of mining. This is big news today. Shares in core lithium have absolutely crashed. They're down 20% as we go to where. What's happened? Well, the company has announced to the ASX that it's reviewing its operations near Darwin because of, and this is a quote, the deterioration in lithium market conditions. Core Lithium, of course, owns the Territory's only lithium mine, but it says the price of spodumene concentrate has fallen 80% year-to-date, including by more than 40% since the end of October. Core says the falling lithium price has caused the company to consider a range of options going forward, including a possible temporary curtailment of mining operations and reductions in exploration and other discretionary expenditures. Now, the Country Hour has requested an interview with the Chief Executive of Core Lithium, but no luck at this stage on the Friday before Christmas. The Northern Territory's new Chief Minister, Eva Lawler, she says the falling price of lithium has impacted Core Lithium's viability, but she's confident about the mine's future. Yeah, I mean, in relation to core lithium and the the price of lithium in the world, obviously impacts core lithium and their you know, they their viability and the way forward. And so those decisions are made by core lithium and their company, their shareholders. So you know, um, yes, the Northern Territory government supported core lithium for it to be a, you know through our major project status. Uh, that mine did get going within five years in a very short time frame. But you know, um, you know, experts around the commodity prices will tell you that you know, we've seen a, a glut around lithium. But with you know, will that change in the next few years? Absolutely, it will change uh, because there will be there is such a demand uh, for lithium in the world. But you know, those prices need to, to to level out and work out. That's the new chief minister, Eva Lawler. There's more details about this up on our website right now if you search for NT Country Hour. In November last year, shares in Core Lithium reached a peak of $1.67 per share. And right now, sitting at just 26 cents. G'day, Rob Smith here. Tales from the Tinny has embarked on her final voyage, but she's not going down with a whimper. No bloody way. Pack the esky and lock in Shoal Bay style for an epic of titanic proportions. Looking back at 17 years of magic moments and maritime madness. The final Tales from the Tinny podcast, The Scuttly. Boat it now from the ABC Listen app or your favourite podcast provider. I'm Emily Hoffman and I love chasing chunky skinks in the top end. And you are listening to the Country Hour. Now, in the Northern Territory, there's a group called the Strong Women for Healthy Country Network. Its members are mostly Indigenous women, 
who are working for ranger groups in some of the most remote parts of the Territory. Now, this group's just put together a best practice guide for employing women in the hope of helping more women find employment in land management while feeling safe and supported. Victoria Ellis has the story. Jenny Applin is a Wanyagarawa ranger from Borolula in the Northern Territory. She's passionate about caring for her country and passing on traditional knowledge to her community. I come from a generation of leaders. My great-grandmother, my grandmother, my mother, three ladies, they are my role models. And they're the ones that keep me strong to stay on this job. But Jenny says she sometimes wants to stop working because she doesn't feel treated fairly. Because I'm a woman, it's like I don't have a voice. I'm, I'm singing out and asking for this help and wanting these tired people in, in our workplace to help us, support us. If these practices are met, maybe the Wanyagatawa Rangers will work as one. The practices Jenny is talking about are the Strong Women for Healthy Country Network's best practice principles for supporting women caring for country. The network, which started in 2019, has collected stories from hundreds of women, many who are Indigenous, about their experiences working in land management across the NT. From these stories, the network created a set of principles for workplaces to better include female staff and make them feel safe and supported at work. There were five major um, best practice principles that was identified. That is respectful workplaces, dedicated resources was another one, dedicated training, flexible work schedules, um, representation in decision making. Hi, my name is Chantelle Miller. I'm a representative of Mima Land Management, situated in the heart of Arnhem Land. Everybody wanted to make sure that these changes were to be implemented within the workplace framework to be able to um, help support those women that found these difficulties within the workplace. Chantel said men and women had equally important roles in caring for country but women were often the primary carers of children or family members. There was this stigma that women would not be able to have the same workload as men. So there was a bit of sexism. The men in our family, myself and my mum and aunt, were able to help and support that need for us to fight this, you know, to close the gap. The network recognises that women caring for country work in different roles and geographical, social and cultural contexts. So the principle suggests a range of different strategies, including things like developing and implementing domestic violence policies. Because sometimes those workplaces that we have in remote communities, husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends would often work in the same area. So some we've seen that some, sometimes it'll implement or bring about jealousy. So we need to make sure that both, both are protected within the workplace so they can come to work together in their separate aspects with men, you know, women, and then go back home, no problem. For Jenny, inclusive workplaces are very important for individual and community well-being. 
but also to preserve Aboriginal culture and heritage. The older men talk to the younger men. The women, they talk to the younger women. We both pass knowledge down from our ancestors. Yeah, so without you doing that, there's a whole generation missing knowledge. Yeah. Chantelle is positive about the potential for a better future. We live in an environment today that we are able to make change. If we want change to be made, it's now. Because we have new upcoming leaders, new upcoming children that are growing up and graduating high school and all of that sort of stuff. They're coming in with a different mindset and wanting to be able to work in unison with their different um, colleagues and people from different race to make Australia the best place in the world to live in. We need to have equality. And we also need to make sure that we work in unison to make sure that our culture and heritage, because we've been here on this earth for over 65,000 years, and we are still living, breathing, thriving. We want to make sure that our fellow Australians do understand that this is a time for change and it's now. That is Chantelle Miller from the Mimal Land Management Group in Arnhem Land speaking to Victoria Ellis. There's more details about this best practice guide that's been released up on our website this afternoon if you search for NT Country Hour. Our text number is 0487 991057. In regards to our earlier story about things not looking too great for the company Core Lithium, its share price down by about 20% this afternoon, and the company has announced to the ASX that it's reviewing its operations near Darwin and that it's considering a range of options, including potentially halting mining operations out there near Bino. Got a text from Sprinkles, who lives in that area, and he says, bugger, that's one hell of a hole to backfill out my way. Feel sorry for all the local lads who probably will be out of a job, all except the dozer drivers who are doing the backfilling, says Sprinkles. Well, the company hasn't called it quits yet. Uh, Sprinkles, I guess to use its language, it is reviewing its operation. G'day, my name is Floyd. I work in the Spanish mackerel fishery in in the Gulf of Carpentaria. I love what I do and love my job and you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, I'm going to tell you about a cattle station in northern Australia that's been fined $50,000 over the deaths of more than 1,000 head of cattle. There are people from within the cattle industry who feel that is a slap on the wrist and the punishment should be much more substantial. I'll tell you all about that in a moment. And then before 1.30, grab a mirror, get your tongue ready, and we're going to find out if we're super tasters or not. And to be honest, if you are right at the very top of super tasting, if you're the elite in your field of super tasting, it's like living in a world with neon-coloured lights everywhere. That's all coming up in our second half. And we're hearing from you as well. Uh, Big thanks to Andy and Kakadu. He says, a big 2023 thank you to Matt and the Country Hour team and to Victoria and the Rural Report team. Great stories from all corners of the Territory and beyond. Thanks for keeping those on the land and those who wish they were on the land 
up to date with everything rural. Enjoy the Christmas break and see you in the new year. Thank you for that, Andy. Yes, the Country Hour is taking a very minute break over Christmas. I will be back on your radio next Thursday. Next Thursday. I'll pop up during the lunch break of the cricket because remember the Boxing Day test starts on Boxing Day. (laughs) And come Thursday, I'll be back. Keeping it rural. The old country hour. It started back in 1945. So the program is 78 years old and the thought was and remains farmers never stop so the country hour should never stop. Let's go to the Weather Bureau now. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon and Billy, a moment ago we were talking about the awful fires this year in the Tanami and here we are in the wet season and the Barclay has an extreme fire danger warning in place. Yeah, fire weather warning. Um, it's very hot through the Barkley and dry, and um, there's just the easterly winds, just a little bit stronger today, has pushed the fire dangers into extreme. Um, it was mainly just for this morning's period where we saw some winds at Tennant Creek of around 25k per hour, gusting to about 45k per hour. So yeah, that just that combination. So the fire danger's starting to ease off now, but okay. um, that warning remains in place, and um, yeah, the fire ban remains in place until midnight as well. And meanwhile, there's an extreme heatwave warning in place for the Daly, Tiwi, Arnhem, and Gregory districts. What about rainfall? There's been a little bit. Yeah, there's been a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, so there weren't too many storms overnight. Most of this was yesterday afternoon. Um, generally, it was sort of around, you know, 5 to 15 millimetres. Some better falls included Dashwood Crossing with 21, uh, Coolabar just under 23, uh, and Adelaide River Station was the best with uh, 53 cool. millimetres. Yeah. Adelaide River appears to be having a great start to the wet season. They just seem to keep keep getting an inch or two on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it hasn't been a great wet season for most. For most, no, but Adelaide River, they've got the magnet out and it's working a treat. Um, In the the weekend leading up to Christmas, is there much to report? Uh, Not really, unfortunately. So thunderstorms becoming a little bit more isolated across the top end um, if they can get that way Um, so we're not expecting too wet this weekend any thunderstorms that do develop could be quite gusty across the western top end Um, but you know the combination of not a lot of storms and those humid westerly winds uh, and the very warm overnight temperatures just feeding into that heat wave across the north Um, and then I guess through central Australia, we'll have a trough push across the south tomorrow. Um, so some hot or northerly winds ahead of that. Alice Springs is getting up to about 42 degrees. Um, that trough will bring some thunderstorms as well. Um, so some lightning and not too much rainfall. And then a new ridge of high pressure pushes in during Sunday. So we get a little bit of cooling uh, Sunday and particularly Monday. So uh, well-timed for Christmas For Christmas, Day. yeah. Yeah, so Alice Springs dropping down to 36 there. Um, and that will also push the storms further into the, the Barkley and the Tanami. Yeah. Um, where it is going to remain very hot, though. Yeah. 
That it really is a Christmas treat for the Alice. 42 degrees on Saturday, but 36 on Christmas Day. Short-lived, come Wednesday, back to 42. Beauty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anything else we need to be aware of? No, not really. The, the cyclone outlook is very low for the next mm. seven days. Um, so we're expecting, yeah, between now and New Year's Day, nothing too significant or heavy weather-wise. Yeah. All right. You have a lovely Christmas, Billy, and we'll... We might catch you late next week. Sounds good. Merry Christmas, Matt. Merry Christmas. Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. Just looking at the NAFI website with that extreme fire danger warning for the Barclay in mind. And on NAFI website uh, this afternoon, dearie me, looks like there's a few fires sort of around Tennant Creek. There's fires on Phillip Creek Cattle Station. A few more fires to the south. Looks like Epinara has got a Decent fire to its southeast corner. Deary, deary me, what an awful year it's been for bushfires in the Northern Territory. Let's make our way now to Western Australia, where the operators of a cattle station have been fined $50,000 over the deaths of more than 1,000 head of cattle. The Mugarinya Community Association, which manages the Yandy Yarra Reserve in the Pilbara region, it pleaded guilty to a charge of animal cruelty, which was laid after the cattle died from thirst and starvation in January of 2019. Now, the owner of a nearby live export facility, Paul Brown, he says the $50,000 fine is a slap on the wrist. It's a pretty paltry fine for what would probably be Australia's biggest animal welfare disaster. The headlines say a 1,000 plus, but my understanding is it was 1,400 or 1,500 cattle that perished through neglect, you know, basically died of starvation and thirst. Terrible way to die uh, in, uh, in extreme conditions. And uh, I find it abhorrent that the Aboriginal Corporation, the leaders and the directors of that corporation have got away scot-free basically $50,000 fine does not reflect uh, the community standards and the expectations put on the agricultural industry when it comes to animal welfare. Why is it so important you know why do you feel so strongly about this particular case? I suppose because the agricultural industry as a whole and the broadacre and particularly the live export industry are put under such a microscope when it comes to animal welfare. And if you just go back a, a little way to the Awasi Express, which pales into insignificance against this, the directors of Emmanuel Exports were hounded in the, the press. The minister at the time, Alana McTiernan, were, were trying to make a pariah of the directors uh, they were facing fines that were crippling and jail time here at Yandiara and with the 1,500-odd cattle deaths, which equates to about ten or 15,000 sheep. We find there's no personal responsibility by directors. They, they have got off without any punishment. They don't require – they weren't required to step down as directors. Uh, they've not been excluded as being part of a, a livestock program. And the $50,000 is – pretty paltry. I mean, that's, uh, you know, if you look at the 1,000 cattle uh, at $50, it works out at about $50 a head. So that's what animal welfare now is worth. And the, the animal welfare in Western Australia, as far as the judge is concerned, is worth $50 a head when it comes to cattle. And 
there's silence from the animal welfare lobby. Where's Animals Australia? Where's Jed Goodfellow? Where's Bitter Jones? Where's the RSPCA? They, if, if this was the livestock export industry having it, they would be out rattling their sabres and banging their donation tins to make sure, and, and, and banging down the doors of MPs and government ministers to make sure that the industry was crippled and never recovered. But here, silence. Absolute silence from the Animal Welfare Brigade. So and, what, what uh, would you have liked school, to have school, seen then? What, what, what animal d- welfare issue that's happened in Australia on mm. Australian shores. So what, what is the appropriate penalty then, do you think? Well, I think the appropriate penalty should be, uh, well, I, th- I think the DPIRD, the Department and the Minister and through the DPP should be a- appealing the penalty. I think, you know, the, the causes of this saying, oh, well, they didn't, go to, they didn't want to go to trial, they pled guilty. Uh, that doesn't wash as far as I'm concerned. The DPP and the department should appeal this decision and ask for a much more substantial penalty to reflect the community's concern when it comes to animal welfare. Mm, such as what, what sort of penalty? That would be under the, well, I, I think for a corporation, it should be in the millions. Whether This, this would be, if, if this happened at any other organisation, if it happened at my feedlot in Port Hedland, if it happened at the sale yards, if it happened on a, on a, a corporate farm, the directors would be, pay, would be facing personal responsibility and liability, crippling fines, and the corporation would, uh, would not be allowed to uh, operate uh, livestock again. And uh, I think that uh, the fines in this uh, instance make a mockery of the animal welfare uh, system that we have in place. That is Paul Brown, owner and manager of the live export depot near Port Hedland there. He was speaking to Belinda Varischetti at 16 past one. This is the Country Hour. Our text number is 0487 1057. All sorts of messages coming through. Uh, one here from Terry, and this is off the back of our news today about Core Lithium looking a little bit shaky. Uh, Terry says, can you ask the new mining minister a follow-up question about vanadium as it provides a sustainable alternative to lithium as an energy storage option. Terry says Mount Peak's a world-class asset. It's located in Central Australia. It was previously awarded major project status by the Federal Government and the Territory Government. Our new mining minister should be fully aware of the opportunity there. Processed lithium is not a renewable resource, unlike processed vanadium, says Terry. On 0487 1057. Another message here that just says, a shout-out to all working rural have a Merry Christmas and a wonderful 2024. You mob keep this country rolling no matter what you have to face day after day. Well done and thank you to everyone out there beyond the Barama line getting the job done. G'day, my name is Heather Smythe. I'm a sensory scientist and flavour specialist and my job is to make food more delicious. And you're listening to The Country Hour. Did you know that about 25 to 30% of the population have super taste buds? It means when they sit down to Christmas lunch in a few days' time, they'll be picking up a lot more flavours than the rest of us. But how do you know if you're a super taster or not? Well, if you get a mirror, you might be able to work it out. I spoke to Heather Smythe, who's a sensory scientist and flavour specialist, to learn more about super tasters. 
what is a super taster? Well, super tasters were a concept that was developed back in about the 80s by a lady, an American scientist called Linda Bartoshuk. And she identified in some, I guess they were more clinical trial rather than, than food tasting types of, of uh, patients. She identified that certain people had a really strong uh, reaction to this compound called PROP, which is a, a bitter tastant. Um, it's basically, a, I guess, a chemical stimulant. She would soak it on these little bits of filter paper and pop it on your tongue. And she found that about 25 to 30% of the population had a really strong, bitter sensation that you know, made them gag. Um, then there was another group of the population around another 50% that thought, yeah, that's that's a bit bitter, but it's not really very unpleasant. And then there was about another you know, 20, 25% of the population who really tasted nothing at all. And she realised that some people have a much stronger response to taste stimulants than others. And so clearly you must be a super taster, surely. <laughs> I have been tasting foods uh, ever since I did my <laughs> PhD back in the very early 2000s. And I'm, I'm actually very fortunate to be a sensory scientist who is also a super taster. Uh, so I do have a very strong uh, reaction to this chemical stimulant called PROP. Um, but since then, you know, the last year, I guess 30, uh, 30, 40 years now, we know a lot more about this super taster idea. And people can be a super taster for different types of stimulants. It's not only the bitter taste. So maybe you're not a super taster for bitter, but maybe you're a super taster for saltiness or for sweetness or for something else. So in the population, we all vary enormously. There's a lot of variation in terms of, of gender with super tasters and also um, ethnicities, people from different countries. Um, so, so yes, super tasting has come a long way since the 80s. And I'm very fortunate that I am a good taster because it would be really hard <laughs> to do my job and taste food every day and, uh, and and not be really good at tasting and describing. So super tasters do come from all walks of life. There's not certain groups that uh, you, you feel it's more prevalent in. Absolutely. So okay. females, females are definitely better um, tasters than males. They are much more likely to be super tasters than males. Right. Asian females are even better. So Asian females have a much higher percentage of super tasters than the, than the regular population. And Japanese females even are, are right at the top. They really are, are more likely to be a super taster than anybody else. Um, on the other end of the scale, <laughs> it's the old white men who tend to be on the non-taster side of things. So if you're <laughs> over the age of 55, over the age of 60, and you're a white bloke, um, then uh, um, with Caucasian descent, I'm afraid, you're probably uh, more <laughs> likely to be a non-taster or just a regular taster. And the taste buds can worsen as life progresses. For sure. I mean, yep. like anything in our body, if you're not using it, you lose it. You don't use your muscles, you know, your, your, your muscles waste away. But if you keep practicing using your taste buds and thinking about food, thinking and experiencing different types of tastes and flavors, then you can actually continue to maintain sense for longer than people who can't. So there is a bit of plasticity, a little bit of um, flexibility there. Um, you, you've got to have some good equipment to begin with. You've got to have the right types of papillae on your tongue and amounts of, of uh, taste receptors and taste buds on those papillae. Um, but once you've got it, if you keep using it, you can make it last for longer. <laughs> if you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour and we're talking taste buds with Associate Professor Heather Smythe. Now, Heather, how do people know if they're a super taster or not? And you just mentioned the tongue, and I'm, I'm actually doing this interview with a mirror 
in front of ah. me because I understand this could be useful, maybe. It could be, Matt. You could have a little look in the mirror right now. Yeah. You stick your tongue out. What there. you're looking for, yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what you're looking for is the pinkish mushroom-shaped little lumps and bumps that are on your tongue. Yep. There'll be some little lumps and bumps that look a little bit furry. They're not. They're filiform papillae. We think, we're not sure, but scientists think that they might be more related to feeling food. But the mushroom-shaped, the little fat mushroom-shaped ones that are, that are pinkish in colour, they are your fungi form papillae and it is on your fungi form there's often lots of them at the tip of the tongue yeah on the fungi form papillae they are not taste buds themselves covered with tiny taste buds so you wouldn't be able to see a taste bud with the human eye but you can see the the fungi form papillae the, the larger structure and on there it's covered with thousands of little taste buds and that's why if you have lots of fungi form papillae if you have a high density of those your tongue, there's lots of them clustering together, that means you're more likely to be a super taster because you've got more receptors, you're receiving more of that taste stimulus and you have more response to that. Some people don't have any. Some people only have a few at the front of tongue but not but not elsewhere. Um, those papillae also can go all the way back to the back of your throat on your tongue as well um, but they're sort of more interdispersed from, from one another. They're more likely to be, be lots of them at the tip. I can see a few bumps, but I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. Just not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in I guess that's lab, the thing with super tasters. You don't know what you don't know. Um... You don't know what you don't know. In, in our lab, we, we actually take photographs of people's tongues, would you believe? We've got a macro lens and a nice little SLR camera. But what we do is we actually get a bit of blue food dye, uh, water it down a little bit. If it's too strong, everything will be dark blue. But you can actually wash a little bit of light um, food dye on the tip of your tongue in blue, and that helps highlight those pinkish fungiform papillae against the background of your tongue. That's a, that's a fun exercise to do. But that we do that often, take photographs of these blue tongues, and then we spend lots of time counting them on our computers to see how many fungiform <laughs> papillae you have. <laughs> now, now, if super yeah. tasters have an ability to pick up more flavours and, and more intensity, what's yes. their experience like compared to those who aren't super yes. tasters? Yeah. Yes, yes, that's a really good question. The experience of a super taster versus a regular or non-taster. Yeah. So within even the super taster group, there are like really super, super, super tasters right at the very top of those, right? And to be honest, if you are right at the very top of super tasting, if you're the elite in your field of super tasting, it's actually a fairly, fairly unpleasant sensory it's like living in a world with neon-coloured lights everywhere. <laughs> so if you're a major, major super taster, often you don't like trying new foods. You'll avoid foods that are strongly flavoured, strong spice or, or strong sweet, strong bitter. Even drinking something like coffee could be a bit offensive for you because you're so, so intense that you, you're almost gagging when you taste such extreme flavours. So for those that are at the very, very top, um, often they're very uh, light. They're not, <laughs> they're not heavy in terms of their because they're not eating um, ma massive amounts of, of food. They're not eating a very diverse diet. So it's sometimes it's not particularly healthy. So they may be a little bit underweight. Um, so it sounds like a wonderful thing to be a super taster. But if you're really right at the extreme end of super tasting, it's not actually a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, neon coloured world. And, and imagine that is just, you know, some dark glasses to be able to, <laughs> to survive. <laughs> You're also describing most four-year-olds, you know, just not wanting oh, yeah. to taste many foods. <laughs> I, I assume people are born super tasters. It's not something that develops. Uh, look, yeah, people are born super born tasters it, yeah. or, or correct. It's, it's 
it's got to do with the number of, of structures that you've got on your actual tongue. And that doesn't change enormously throughout life. It's not like buds fall off or, or fungiform papillae are falling off. But interesting with kids, um, kids are naturally born being afraid of new foods. We call that food neophobia. So it's quite normal for very young children to not want to taste things. And this is really a survival instinct, right? If kids popped out and then at you know age three, they just ate everything, although there are some kids who put a lot of weird things in their mouth, but if they just ate everything all of the time, they, they could be sick because they could ta- eat things that aren't good for them and that could actually um, make them quite unwell, as you can imagine. So they tend to be born not wanting to eat lots of diversity, not what, and it takes time to sort of introduce vegetables and bitter foods they really don't like. That's less to do with super tasting necessarily as a child, as a child although their taste perception is better than it w- will be um, when they're an, an, an older adult. Um, but the reality is they are food neophobes and they like to avoid um, those new foods and it takes time to introduce it to them. And just finally, if you are a super taster, are there opportunities to get involved in some really cool research? (laughs) Oh, there are. (laughs) So I work with panels of super tasters every day. Um, Most of them are women. I do have some men. Um, But, yeah, we we have some fabulous panellists here. They taste all sorts of different foods. This morning, actually, we were tasting Wagyu, and in a couple of weeks, (laughs) they'll be doing papaya, um, all sorts of weird and wonderful things here um, in Brisbane at the Long Pocket campus. Yeah, we we always are looking for some new people to join. Um, but, yeah, we will put you through some screening, make sure that you are the best of the best. But, um, but yeah, to get a job in food tasting is a pretty good thing for a super taster. <laughs> I've loved learning about super tasting today, Heather. Thank you so much. Have a lovely Christmas. You too. Thanks so much, Matt. A big thanks to Associate Professor Heather Smythe, who is a sensory scientist and flavour specialist. She is from the University of Queensland. Have you got a mirror? Are you a super taster? (laughs) That wraps up today's Country Hour. And that's our last program before Christmas. We will be back next week. I'm going to pop up on the radio next Thursday during the lunch break of the test match. So next Thursday and Friday, you'll find me on old-fashioned analogue radio, keeping it rural during the lunch break of the cricket. So looking forward to speaking to you then. How do I wrap up today's Country Hour, our last one before Christmas? Well, I got sent this song from a mate. He's like, you've got to put this on the Country Hour. They'll love it, he said. I've got my concerns. Let's bring it up now. It's Silent Night, performed by goats. On the text, Tim in Inverell Bay says, wishing everyone a very safe and happy festive season. Keep it rural. Alan Humpty Doo says, Merry Christmas to everyone from Humpty Doo Sunflowers. We've had a lot of laughter and smiles this year. Sprinkle says, ding, ding, that's the knockoff bell, Matt. Have a good rest up. Best wishes. Thanks for the show. here at the Country Hour. Merry Christmas and keep it rural.